0: Amen. You got to make sure you know those announcements. Sometimes we'll hit you with them twice. Amen. We got, uh, listen, we've got a big, big month coming up. Obviously, like we said, we've got uh, school is starting back. So one of the things that is going to be starting back this month is Hope Youth. We take a little break during, uh, during the summer. And so on August the 18th, on Wednesday night, Hope Youth will be beginning for middle school students, for high school students. Uh, So if you, if you know of someone of that age Bring them out. We'd love for them to be with us uh, on Wednesday, August the 18th. Another thing that is starting that you want to keep in mind is that small groups are going to begin August the 29th at the very end of the month, so we got about four weeks before we launched those, but that's a very important part of who we are as a church. We believe we had a lot of really good small groups the last time, and what I found is that, interestingly enough, our church doesn't grow that much specifically from people coming in just out, outside and they come into the doors on Sunday morning. It grows because we have small groups that connect with friends or people that maybe they work with and they come into their small groups, and then that's how we end up growing most of the time. That's what I found, because relationships are a lot more important so than a Sunday morning service, if I'm being totally honest with you. So small groups, August 29th. If you would like to lead a small group, tell me, tell Brian Colville out at the welcome desk and just let us know that you're interested in doing something like that so that we can have a conversation with you. And we'll get you set up and prepared to lead the best small group uh, by August the 29th. But we're looking forward to that. And then lastly, as you saw in the video, most likely uh, next week, we will be receiving our Awaken Hope campaign offering. I guess y'all are excited about that. Amen? Right, right. Because because we're going to do some things, and obviously we're putting a roof on the building. We've talked about this over the past several weeks, so you know most about what we're doing. We're putting a roof on this building over here that's been needed for a long time. Uh, We're going to paint the building. We're going to put some signage up. And there's going to be a new, a new entrance coming through eventually. It may take some time, but we're working on it. So we're going to receive an offering just to try to get a lot of that stuff done. And then as, as it comes in, we'll be able to do some more things with the building on the inside as far as renovations go. But we look forward to that. If you've got more questions about that, let us know. What we plan to do is receive an offering here in a different basket than the usual tithing offering baskets that we have outside next week. So you can bring a check if you'd like. And if you'd like to give online... You can go to cityofhopechurch.org or do that text to give thing. And under the funds tab, there's one that says building campaign. So you've got general church budget, but then you've got one that says building campaign. And if you click building campaign, it will every dollar that you give to that will go to the building campaign. Everything else goes into the general tithe and offering budget for day-to-day operations, so to speak. Amen? Amen. All right. So I feel good about it. I'm looking forward to it. Just like he said, pray about it. We we don't ask you, we're not going to ask you to give anything, but we're going to ask you to ask the Lord what he would have you to give. Amen. Amen. And so just talk to the Lord about it, see what he says, and then come ready next week and we'll celebrate whatever the Lord does in that area. Amen. So I want to begin a new sermon series today called Against the Grain. And I just kind of got that phrase and, and and honestly I took a dive because I didn't have even all of my messages ready for this sermon series. So I'm just trusting the Lord to develop it as I go. But I had this thought about being against the grain because right now we live in a world where honestly it seems like there is such a strong pull to just adhere to the usual and the norm and follow suit with what everybody else is doing all the time. And what you find throughout scripture is that when God chooses to do something in any, in any area whatsoever, he has to find somebody that is willing to go against the grain of what society is doing. They have to live unusually. They have to be different. They shine as a light in darkness. They live differently. And so that's what I want to speak about. And specifically today, I want to talk about a guy named Caleb. And the Bible says about Caleb, God says about him, that Caleb just had a different spirit. He had a different spirit than everybody else. When everybody else was going that direction, Caleb was going a different direction. He had a different mindset. So we're going to go from there. A a different spirit is the title of this message. We're going to start in Numbers 13 Verses 17 through 25, I really love this story uh, in the scripture. So Numbers 13, verses 17 through 25, here's what it says. It says, Then Moses sent them out to spy the the land of Canaan. Now what you have is the children of Israel, about three or four million of them, have come out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. And they're going to a place where God has promised them is a land flowing with milk and honey that you're going to inherit. No longer are you going to be enslaved, but you're going to be my people called by my name, living in a land of promise that is full of abundance. And so Moses takes them out and they're out in the wilderness. And he says, all right, I'm sending you to spy out the land of Canaan. And he says to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many; whether the land they dwell in is good or bad; whether the cities they inhabit it are like camps or strongholds; whether the land is rich or poor; whether there are forests or not; whether, whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ah, Ahimon, Shishai, man, these are great names, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And then they came to the valley of Eshgal. And there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they carried it between two of them on a pole. I want you to imagine a cluster of grapes hanging from a pole all the way down. to That's a big grape, y'all. That's like a grape bigger than your head. And he says, they carry it between them on a pole. And they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster, which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. And so here's the thing that I want you to understand right out of the gate is that when God plans to do something he always starts with a promise. Justin was singing that song this morning about from beginning to end your promises stand. And I don't know why God does it necessarily other than the fact that God understands that this life that we live is a journey of faith. And so when God wants to do something here's what he, he doesn't just give you what he wants right out of the gate. He starts with a promise. He could have taken Abraham, transplanted him because he did it one time in the New Testament in the book of Acts. He could have literally teleported his hind end over into the land that is flowing with milk and honey, but he does not. He first gives Abraham a promise and says, hey, Abraham. I'm going to call you out from your family, out from your kin, and I'm calling you into a place that you do not even know where you're going, and I'm asking you to trust me, and I'm asking you to follow me, and I promise you that if you will follow me by faith, all of the families of the earth will be blessed through your life. Amen. And so he goes out not knowing by faith the Scripture says that he goes out. The same way with Moses. God speaks to Moses. He says, Moses, I'm calling you out of Egypt, and now I'm sending you back into Egypt because I'm bringing my people out of bondage, out of slavery, and I'm going to bring them into a promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey, a land of abundance. And so God, before he gives us anything, he wants to give us a promise first. He will actually give you the Scripture to see whether or not you're going to hold on to it through the child and through the challenges to see if you are going to be in a position to receive what He actually wants to give you. See, God understands that our character really is not yet in a position to receive what we want from Him. So He gives us the promise to see if we will hold on to that promise through the trials, through the challenges, through the ups and downs. And in the Old Testament, God typifies this by giving them a promise and literally saying, I'm bringing you into, that's why they call it the what? The promised land. Because it's promised by God that I'm bringing you into this. But see, there were stipulations because we know the story, right? They left Egypt and how far of a journey? It was an 11-day journey to get to the promised land, but yet somehow or another it took them 40 years. And you know, in the same way with us, God can give us a promise and even though we could receive it very soon in our lives, our character's not yet ready to receive it. And so sometimes it takes us 40 years to receive what God wanted to give us in 11 days. And so he demonstrates this, and here's what I want you to understand, is that the promises are essential in your life. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, notice this. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, when we talk about the provision of God, first of all, I want you to understand that the provision of God is in abundance. When he says grace and peace, he doesn't say let it be added unto you. He says let it be multiplied unto you. I want peace multiplied in your life so that when the world is going crazy and the news stations that you watch are causing you to lose your mind, peace will be multiplied in your life. Not added, but multiplied. There's an overabundance of God's provision that he has for us if we're willing to receive it. But verse three says his divine power Power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue. He's saying that what Jesus has done on the cross, His divine power has been released, and every single thing that you have need of right now has already been purchased for you at the cross in Christ Jesus. He's given you everything that pertains to life and godliness that you have need of. Listen, when you look at God and his abundance, there was never a time that somebody came to Jesus and he said, I don't have enough. Whenever they were hungry, there were 5,000. They had a couple of loaves of of bread and a few fishes and God fed the 5,000 and took up 12 basketfuls of leftover. There is abundance and more than enough for you, I and everyone else in this county and world when we come to God as our source. Now, if you look at the government as your source, if you look at the medical profession as your source or your own job as your source, then that may get you into a pickle. But when you begin to understand that God is your source, the world can take things from you and God can open doors that no man can shut. See, we've got a source that doesn't run on this same economy. It doesn't run on the same world system, and it is God himself. And so he says this is the source, and he's given us all these things, but I love what verse 4 says. It says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Did you just hear that? He's saying that you can receive the promises of God and you can become a partaker of the divine nature. That means that when you grab a hold of the promises of God in your life, you grab a hold of the word of of God. He actually begins to make you more like himself. You become more and more like God. That's the end goal of his promises. And it says having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So everything that God has for us, the provision that he has for us, it comes simply through knowing him and receiving his promises and holding on to the promises of God. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one is God's provision is in his promises. Everything that God has for you is already written down in scripture and it's up to us. We have the responsibility to dig into the word of God to see what God says about our lives so that we can receive the fullness of what God wants to do. And so you ask yourself because, you know, I don't know, back in the day, you know, if you sung those old hymns, you sang about Beulah land and the promised land and all this stuff. What people always sing about the promised land being was going to heaven, right? We're, it, it typifies going to heaven. When we die, we're going. And thank God that when we die, we're going to heaven. Amen. That is a very good thing. But the promised land does not necessarily typify just going to heaven. The promised land typifies all of the promises of God being fulfilled in your life here and now. What does it look like if the promises of God are fulfilled in your life? What does it look like if the promises of God are fulfilled in our community? What's it look like if a church and a people of God say, you know what? We're not going to live by the dictates of the current mindset of everybody in Clay County or everybody in the world or what the the governor says or whoever else, what everybody else says. We're going to set that aside. We're going to go to the promises of God and we're going to allow them to dictate what our life is going to look like. See, His provision is in these promises. And this is why the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. He said, no matter how many promises God has made from the beginning of Scripture to the end, he says, in Christ, on the cross, Jesus has said, because when you ask the question, but is this promise for me? Is it for my family? On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Yes, these promises are for you. And therefore, we utter the amen back to him, to the glory of God. We say, God, this is what your word says. And so I'm responding, so be it in my life. When you sing the promises of God on Sunday, when you hear these promises in Scripture, when you read these, you should say, Amen, so be that word in my life. When we talked about the peace of God that passes all understanding, your response should be, Amen, so be it in my life. I need that peace that passes all understanding. And we receive it through faith so that when we go out here, we don't have to live the same way that the world does. All tore up and worried, sick about everything that is going on in the world around us. So... The promised land on a natural level, I want you to understand when you start to see what God wants to do in your life. See, the promised land is not about the stuff God can give you. When God called them into the promised land, he said, look, I'm going to take you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. They're going to be for if he have said it to me, he probably would have said they're going to be smoked meats in abundance. They're going to have ribs and brisket and Uncle Paul, they're going to have turtles. And you're going to go and it's going to be flowing with fresh meats and milk and honey. And I'd be like, praise God, we're going. But see, when they get to the promised land, what they begin to understand is it wasn't so much about what God was giving them in the natural physically, but it was about what God was giving them spiritually because God was taking them through a process where they were coming to know him. And what God was doing was in the journey of faith, God was giving them the best promise, the gift of himself. The best promise you can get is that God is giving you himself and he is making you like his son, Jesus Christ. This is the end goal of all of the promises of God that you would reflect the image of God, that you would become like Jesus Christ. And when that happens in a church, it begins to bleed over into a community so that we start to look more like Jesus and our community starts to look more like Jesus. But when we look at our community, what we see are all of the challenges, all of the trials, all of the obstacles that we face, and we become burdened and we say, we ain't gonna be able to make it. We wish we'd just go back to Egypt. We're not gonna be able to do this. You can't make an impact here, but I'm telling you right now that the promises of God are stronger than the challenges that we face out here in our world right now. But the question is, it's a matter of faith. Which one are you going to believe? Which one are you going to be influenced by? You see this land flowing with milk and honey, and I love it because like we read, you remember, you see these two men carrying back. He says, go spy out the land, boys. Find some fruit, tell me what the fruit's like. They come back with a cluster of grapes, dropped to the bottom on a wooden pole with two men on each side carrying it, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus was hung on a wooden pole, and on each side he had two men, and he said, I am the vine. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. That promised land is a picture of the fulfillment of Jesus Christ in your life when you go in. So look, it's like a man, it's like here, here's, you say, What is this on a natural level, Clay? It's like me spying out the land. I go and I open my Bible up and I'm spying it out. I'm like, boys, that's good fruit. What if God was to do that in my in the church? And what if God was to do that in it? And I spy it out and I bring it back to you and I say, here's what the potential is in God that I just spied out in the scripture. This is what you can have if you're willing to walk with me into the promised land and the promised land is christ himself and he has said this is already available to you it's your inheritance all of the promises are yes all you got to do is say amen and start to walk with me man that's a good word right there and this is why when he speaks to joshua God says to Joshua in Joshua 1:3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as Moses said. What he's saying is, is when you open your Bible, what are you doing? You're starting to tread into some of those promises. When we sing it out here on Sunday and we sing out the promises of God, we're stepping into some of that land. And then we begin to activate it by by moving into it. But see, if you ain't going to step into it, you're not going to inherit it. God says all of that land is yours, but you won't have it unless you step into it. Amen. Amen. You got to pick up the word of God, say, this is for my life and I'm moving into it. And this is why he told Joshua, the book, this book of the law shall not depart from, right? He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all According to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. He's saying this is how you're going to tread into this territory. You're going to have this book of my word in your mouth and in your mind. You're going to speak it. It's going to be in your heart. You're going to meditate in it. And it's going to become a part of who you are so that you will walk into that promised land and inherit what God has given you. I love what Obadiah 117 says. It says on Mount Zion, at least you'll know one verse from Obadiah. Amen. Amen. On Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. I thought to myself, how could you not possess your possessions? If it's one of your possessions, how do you not possess it? But what he's saying is, it's almost as if somebody has bought me all kinds of things. As if Dan Gay or somebody has bought me a boat, but he put it out in a, in, in, you know, in a garage somewhere and put a lock on it and he gave me the key. And I say, you know, well, Dan bought me a boat. It's sitting out there in, in, in the garage. I've got the key, but I just can't use it. Well, why not? I don't know. I just, I just can't use it. You got to use that key, go out there, access that boat and say, I'm going to possess my possession. I'm going to possess my possessions because God has paid for you to have so much Peace that passes understanding. Joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. To be filled with the Spirit of God. To be able to have a word in due season to people in our community that are broken and weary and do not know Jesus. It is your possession and your right as a Christian to have a word flow out of your mouth that breaks their heart and brings conviction and repentance so that they could know Jesus. That's your possession. But will you walk in it? Will you allow God to move in your life through that? Because the problem was is that we're talking about going against the grain, and the grain is this. The grain is that no, I ain't. I ain't trying to step in all that because that looks hard, that looks difficult. And what happens is they come out of Egypt being enslaved like we are to sin for years and years and years. They come out by the blood of the Lamb that was applied to their doorposts, the same way the blood of the Lamb is applied to us. They come out into the wilderness. They're walking. For two years they walk with God and they came to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And when they came to the edge of the promised land, rather than walking in, they looked down in there and they saw giants and they got scared to death and they rebelled against God and again God's promises and said I hear what God's saying that he's promised us this land but I see what it actually looks like and it's too hard we want to go back and because they said that they spent another 38 years walking in circles until all of that generation died in the wilderness man can you imagine what God wants to do in our region But generation after generation has died trying to pursue what God wants to do in our region because they never fully believed the promises of God. They were never really willing to submit their lives to God and walk into it and say, you know what, we need to see this place turned around for Jesus. We need to see people come to Jesus. We need to seek to preach the gospel wherever we can and love as many people as we can to bring transformation in this area. And see, when he brings them out, I love it because he brings them out of Egypt. Egypt in in the Hebrew is mitzrayim. It means double stress. You believe that? He brought them out of double stress, and he's bringing them into a land that's flowing with milk and honey where there is an abundance of peace. Even in Egypt, it talks about the kind of foods foods that they, they would eat. And in Egypt, all the foods were like onions and leeks and stuff like that that you'd have to bend over and work. But when you go into the promised land, all of the foods were pomegranates, figs, stuff that were on vines that you can just stand up and pick. It's not, it's not labor. It's not toil. It's easy. You're not bent over all the time, but you're looking up in order to receive the fruits that God is trying to give you. But see, he's given us a finished work. And this is why Moses says in Numbers 13, verse 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I have given to the children of Israel, From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one, a leader among them. Now, just like I said, he's sending them to spy out the land, and you begin to ask yourself what does it look like if we spy out the Word of God and superimpose that onto our family? onto our lives. See, because if I get into the Word of God, when I I used to be uh, far from God, an addict, my life broken, when I started to see the Word of God, I thought to myself, I don't have to live like this. God's Word says I can be free from this stuff. Not only that, it says that it can impact my family and my family can be changed. And not only that, it says that when I have children, they can be changed. They can follow Jesus and I can break generational curses. And so what does it look like when you start to impose the promises of God on your life? See, their problem is, is they were supposed to see the goodness of God in his promises. But all they saw were the challenges. When you enter into a new season, I mean, even right now, I mean, there, like right now, is a, is, is, in August, there's always a beginning phase. And there are challenges in front of every person. Y'all are going to school. Your kids, you're, you're hoping they get to go back to school, but you're afraid maybe they're going to put some new mandates on. Like all this stuff. There's all of these challenges. And I get it because I'm one of the worst. Like I'm, I'm a pessimist. And I struggle sometimes seeing the good in God's. And the only way that I can even begin to stay in check is if I stay in God's word. I got to be honest with you. Because I will look at the challenges and I will look at the world and see what people are saying. And I will quickly allow it to bring me down. And I will begin to doubt. I'll begin to be afraid. But when I get in God's word and I grab a hold of a promise, all of a sudden I begin to say, you know what? This promise is stronger than what the world around me is saying. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to believe God in this situation. But see, they saw that. And the question is, do you respond and do you function from a place of fear or a place of faith? Do you believe God or do you believe what the world system is saying around you? Now, here's something very interesting. I've done this before. I've said this before, but there's new people and stuff like that. So it's a good reminder regardless. How many of you have been in the Bible? Because what he does right now, when he says he's going to send them to spy out the land, he literally takes about 10 verses and lists 36 names. He sends 12 men to spy out the land, and he tells you what tribe they're from, what their name is, and what their father's name is. So you got 36 names. But here in Genesis 5 is actually just setting a precedent. Because have you, ever read, have you ever read, like in the Bible, you go through and you're reading Bible in the year and you read genealogies. And you're like, man, what in the world? I mean, I got to skip these genealogies. Amen, right? Yeah, I don't need them. That's not, that's not edifying me at all. In Genesis 5, God sets a precedent with genealogies in my mind. I remember reading this whenever I first started studying Hebrew and I said, man, that says something there. And so I started looking it up and I found a dude who'd written a book, a guy named Alfred Edersheim, right? He wrote a book uh, called The Life and Times of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. He talked about uh, uh, that there was a guy that was a Jewish man that didn't believe in Christ, but he read this genealogy and got saved. Because if you read the Genesis 5 genealogy, it will say Adam begat Seth, and Seth begat Enosh, and Enosh begat Canaan. And you read through that, but if you translate the names, here's literally what it says. Man appointed mortal sorrow, but the mighty God shall descend teaching, and his death shall bring the despairing rest you got the gospel message in the first lineage of all of Scripture right there. You say, man, how are you going to name a dude his death shall bring? (laughs) Well, you know, Enoch had his son, and you know, Enoch was translated. He went to heaven. He didn't die. He was translated. And God told Enoch at that time, because they were bringing judgment on the Nephilim and all these different things, and God told Enoch, I'm going to bring the flood. I'm going to bring judgment on this world when your son dies. When Methuselah dies, and therefore he named him Methuselah because he said his death shall bring judgment upon all this world. Now you see the mercy of God. Why? Because we all know who lived longer than anybody. Methuselah lived longer than anybody. 969 years did Methuselah live. And see, this goes to prove that, look, right now time is winding up, folks. And we say, well, the Lord should have done already come back like a long time ago. Because it's getting messed up. But if the Bible says that he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And right now we're on that extended time because God wants many people to come to repentance and his mercy is strong. Amen? Amen. So I've set a precedent for you with that lineage. Now, I, I translated all these names. You can read them if you want to. You don't have to. And, like, and, I've, and I've, I did this a couple of years ago, actually, based on that precedent. But, but like in verse 3, it says, From the tribe of Rumen. Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zakur. okay? Reuben, we know, it means behold a son. Shemua, it means listen. It's from the root word Shema, which is here in, in Hebrew. And Zakur. you know, we got Zechariah. We got Zechariah, and, and Zechariah means Yahweh hears, or Yahweh remembers. So you've got remembers. So the first line is behold the son, listen to and remember him. Amen. So if I translate all those names, they would have been looking at these 12 men going to spy out the land. And here's what God would have been saying to them. Behold the son. Listen and remember him. He hears you and brings judgment on your enemies. Your praise will attack your enemies and the Lord will bring a reward. He is a redeemer and he will bring increase. He protects and covers you so that you might have double fruitfulness. Salvation shall be established and propagated. The son of my right hand will deliver, preserve, and heal you. You shall dwell in the fortune of God, enjoying his friendship and secret counsel. I love that. As your fortune in God is increased, he will cause you to forget the pain of your past. The family of God shall be vindicated, and God will cause them to deal bountifully with others. Happiness will no longer be hidden, for who is like our God? Your struggle caused you to hide, but now good fortune is added to you. The majesty of God has brought you out of depression and poverty, for you have been drawn out by Him. I know I read that and I'm like, okay. God wants to say something to us, amen. But see, rather than seeing what God was saying to them, they only saw the giants. They spied out the land and all they could see was the giants. They couldn't hear what God was saying to them. And what you need to understand, number two in your notes is that our destiny is found in who God says we are. And this was what God was saying about them right there written in their very names. And see, this is why when you die at the end of this life, God is going to give you a white stone with a name written on it that only you know and only he knows. And it's a name written that that was given to you based on your relationship with him because he gave you battles to fight and whether or not you conquered him determines what your name is but see he's already spoken that name over you he's already called you a mighty warrior he's already said you're far more than what you can imagine that you ever are but you've got to get into the promises of God to allow this to begin to be activated don't let the world or anybody else or even your employer tell you who you are the word of God tells you who you are your destiny is found in who God says that we are and see we cannot afford to listen to others when it comes to what God has called us to be amen Numbers 13, verse 26 through 29. It says, So now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all of the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told them and said... We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Have you ever felt like in your life, you ever had a, I remember when I first got saved, man, I had dreams. Anybody else get that way? Like you just get in life, You're like, man, I just see good things in the future. Hallelujah. You get that way. Like you have an experience with God. You're like, man, this is going to be awesome. And then all of a sudden bad things start to happen. And you begin to say, I don't, I, I, th- I probably miss God on that. Yeah, anybody? It happens. Do you know why it happens? Because you have an enemy out for your soul who will stop at nothing to quench the fire of God in your life. He's working full time to make sure you have no hope, you have no faith, you ain't moving forward and you're not sharing Jesus with anybody so that you'll just shut up somewhere and be depressed and in a terrible mood and afraid to open your mouth. Amen. This is what the enemy wants to do. But God's put a fire in your heart and you've got to be sure to make sure that you are paying attention to what he says because when they look, He said, boys, it's a good land. Yeah, it flows with milk and honey. There's all kinds of promises out there. But when we looked in there, there were the, Hittites, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, Amorites, All these people. You look at those names in the Hebrew, I know I'm bringing it out today, y'all. Praise God. Real word studies. If you look at them in the Hebrew, let's look at it. Amalekites means toilsome labor and severe work. Be a great name for a people. Hittites means shattered, discouraged, terrified. The root words breaking down. Jebusites means to tread down, trample, and even to dishonor because it's under his feet. It means to dishonor. Amorites, it means it's a, literally a talker or a sayer. It can also be signified as the accuser. And in the Canaanites, it means literally traffics humiliation, which is a crazy name for a place. And it, it can cause loss of self-respect and dignity and identity. So the point being is when you've got a promise from God, Satan's going to come in, here's what he's going to do. He's going to make you think, you know what? That work that God is calling you to, it's going to be too hard for you. You ain't going to be able to do it. And then he's going to try to discourage you or terrify you to the point that you feel treaded down, trampled, and ultimately dishonored. They just say, you know what, you're junk. You can't move forward like that. And then he's going to talk and say as much as he can, accuse you. I'm telling you, when I wake up on Sunday morning, sometimes I get the devil in my ear saying, who you think you are getting up preaching this morning? He's going to accuse you. He's going to try to make you quit because you feel unworthy. And I always tell the devil, I say, devil, I know about my past. I know I ain't that great of a guy, but I know of a guy who's a really good one. I a matter of fact, he's perfect and he shed his blood so I could be washed. And if it hair lips you and everybody else and if I mess up next week, I'm still going to get up and I'm going to preach the gospel. Because it ain't about how good I am. It's about how good Jesus is. That's who we represent. I'm not representing myself. You're not representing yourself. And you say, well, I would speak to them, but I got a pass and they won't be able to hear it from me. It's not about you. It's about the one who saves us. But the enemy, he'll try to do that because he wants to traffic humiliation until you lose your self-respect and you back out and you say, I'm not worthy. I can't work for God. And God said, no, you can I've called you. I've redeemed you. I've brought you out with my righteous right hand, and I'm calling you into something greater than you can imagine. And Caleb, see, he went against the grain. I love this. Because Caleb's watching all this stuff happening, and he's just sitting there going, bunch of sissies. <laughs> I mean, I, feel, I imagine that's probably what he said. Something like that. Maybe it didn't come out of his mouth. I mean, I don't know. But I feel like that's what he was saying. And Numbers 13:30. here's what he said. It said, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And I love this word quieted because it's a very unique word. If you look it up in the Hebrew, it's an interjection. It means that basically people are talking to you, you go, hush, taking this no more. It's an interjection. Because sometimes in your life, you need to do that to your own mind, don't you? You need to silence the voices and interject the word of God. And he says, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So he quiets everybody, and he says, you know what, I don't care what's down there in the promised land. I don't care what kind of giants. I don't care what kind of devils they are. We've got a promise from God, and God has told us that we could go in there. But see, the children of Israel, they're going with the grain. You know, do you know that it's easier to just bow down and give up? It's easier to just say, you know what, forget it. This is going to be too hard. We just need to let it go. So, I mean, but Caleb says, no, God has given us a promise and we're well able to overcome it. We need to rise up at once and possess this thing. Forget about the giants. We're standing on the promises of God. But see, they brought a bad report. And my question to you is, what kind of report do you bring? Even whenever you're giving prayer requests, what kind of report do you bring? Do you have faith behind the things that you are saying? Are you literally just saying stuff to be saying it? Because at the end of the day, you're already defeated. You say, we ain't going to be able to overcome this. This is too bad. This is too heavy. This is too strong. The diagnosis is too bad. There's no way that we're going to overcome this. And see, we cannot allow ourselves to be shaped by the circumstances of this world around us. We've got to be shaped by the promises of God. And we can't fall into this place. I know sometimes in the southeastern Kentucky town, what you have is people who honestly, if I'm being truthful, sometimes you got people that don't want you to do any better. They just as soon pull you down. They don't want to see you succeed because they're eat up with this attitude, this poverty mindset where they don't want to see anybody advance and excel. But I'm telling you right now that we're in good company because Caleb was in the same kind of company. When God was saying, y'all need to move forward, they were saying, nah, we're going to pull you down. And and, and Caleb said, all right, well, if that's how it's going to go, just wait a minute, we'll see how it opens up. Because it doesn't end up for the ones that were negative. But here, I was reading something, actually, a couple years ago. I was reading a book by Carolyn Leaf, right? She's a a neuroscientist. Really interesting. And she was talking about how that the majority of your inner consciousness is negative self-talk. So when you grow, when you wake up in the morning, the grain of your mindset is negative self-talk. Is there anybody in here that wakes up and they're just like, as soon as they just wake up, you are like, man, you're awesome. It's going to be a good day. Hallelujah. Like Jeremy Baker, maybe everybody, everybody else. I don't know. You're probably going with the grain. Like for me, I've got to exercise a lot of energy and effort to stay positive. I'm just being real right i need the word of god to stay positive i need i need to go back to jesus because i'm just not a positive person <laughs> uh, can we be real this morning So I need the word of God to keep me in a state of positivity because there's this negative, there's this inner critic in my mind always telling me, no, it ain't going to work out, it ain't going to go well. And it tells a story. And what this neuroscientist says is she says you wake up with this negative self-talk, this inner critic that tells you a story that shows you a future. And before long, you begin to believe it to the degree that it starts to dictate your emotions and then when somebody tells you a positive story, you reject it because it doesn't line up with your negative narrative. You believe that? So, somebody, I know people. I can tell them, listen, God wants to do amazing things in your life. God wants to do this. God will set you free from that. We can pray. We can believe it. I'll stick with you. And they're just like, no, I don't know about that. Because they've got a, they have something in their mind. They've already told themselves a story. And they have believed that story. And the only way you're going to do that is you have to say, no, that is a lie. Somebody has told me a lie and I am casting down these imaginations. I'm casting down these thoughts and I'm getting another mindset because the scripture says, and here's what we got to understand. Number three, our mindset will either drive us forward or it's going to push us back. And this is biblical. This is why the Bible talks about when you are warring in the spirit, you learn to cast down what? Imaginations you got imaginations showing you a weak future where you're going to be overwhelmed and overtaken. That's the enemy. And you cast down that imagination and you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.23 to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And here's what this woman says a mindset is. I like her definition. She says a mindset is an attitude or a cluster of thoughts with attached information and emotions that generate a particular perception. They shape how you see and interact with the world. They can catapult you forward, allowing you to achieve your dreams, or put you in reverse drive if you are not careful. A mindset is therefore a significant mental resource and source of power. Your mindsets set your expectation levels, which will either be positive Or negative. See, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And you've got a mindset that's either going to drive you forward or you've got a mindset. And I'm going to be honest with you, I bet you right now in this crowd right here, the vast majority of us have a negative mindset spiritually that is driving us backward from God's calling. And we got to be willing to lay that down and say, no, I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and I'm going to get into the Word of God. Because here's what she says. She says, the power of the mind to change the brain is incredibly exciting and hopeful. Our thoughts can improve our peace, health, vision, fitness, strength, and much more. The ability to think, feel, and choose and build thoughts into mindsets is one of the most powerful things in the universe because this power is the source of all human creativity and imagination. Your thinking, feeling, and choosing impacts your genetic expression. What she ends up writing about is literally this. The way that you think gets into your DNA and comes out in your children. That scared me to death. I thought to myself, maybe that's why the Lord has made me infertile for a season. That's not even a good joke. <laughs> but I mean, you, you got these thoughts that come through your mind, like maybe He's like Clay. You gotta get your mindset right before I bring some kids through. You—I mean, what in the world is going on here? But that's what she said, Amen. And so that is the power of a mindset. That's the power of of, of thought. That's the power of these things in our minds. And so the renewed mind sees the world as Jesus sees the world. Caleb didn't see the circumstances. Caleb didn't see the giants. He saw them, but he said there's a greater reality. The promises of God is stronger than that. And so here's what it says in in chapter 14, verse 1 through 10. It says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Literally, they're sitting on the edge of the promised land, but because they've got challenges, they start to cry. Y'all ever cried? I got some challenges, man. And they wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron because you got to complain against somebody whenever you got a challenge. Amen. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Why Have you ever got into a situation where you say, boys, I thought the Lord brought me here. I thought the Lord brought me here. Why has he brought me here for all of this bad stuff to happen? He brought you here and all of this bad stuff has happened because the enemy has resisted you. But God has given you a promise and he said, it ain't over yet. You're just in the middle of the battle. I'm seeing if you're going to take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and press forward and move on and take the land that I promised to you. It ain't going to come to you easy. You've got to be willing to stand up and say, we're going to go regardless. And so they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt back to bondage. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all of the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. See, they have rebelled against the Lord in their unbelief. They've rebelled against the Lord because they do not believe the Lord. He says, "'Nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. "'Their protection has departed from them, "'and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. "'And all the congregation said to stone them with stones.'" Now, the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. See, Joshua and Caleb, they got a different spirit. And they said, if God delights in us, we're well able to take care of this land. So what they're focusing on is God's love for them, God's promise in their life, while the rest of the congregation is only focusing on the obstacle. They ain't prayed a prayer. Let me give you a little tip right now. When you're making decisions regardless of what it may be in your life, do not take advice from someone who is not praying and seeking the Lord. Amen. That's like the simplest thing ever. But yet I, I, I fail to understand how so many Christians take advice as if it has the authority of Scripture from men and women who don't even know the Lord. Amen. I'm glad I released that this morning. I feel better. He says, they are our bread. I love this because it brings me to the fourth point that faith enables us to see challenges as nourishment. When you see a challenge and an obstacle, if you think like the children of Israel, what you'll think is, well, we can't overcome that. We just need to go backward. We need to move backward. We're not going to be able to overcome this. We need to to forget about that. We need to just ditch that plan. But see, when you think like Caleb and Joshua, you look at it and you say, oh, oh, a challenge, some giants. This is actually going to make me better because God's going to enable me to, to defeat this enemy. And on the other side, I'm going to be stronger than I was in this position. So you start to see your circumstances as something that is just going to bring nourishment to you. It's your food, your challenges. That God, look, God allows challenges in your life. Sometimes we wonder why, but let me tell you something. If you're a Christian and you bow down at every type of adversity and you say, "Well, I can't believe God would allow this. You're going to have a struggle in this life. Because God's going to allow more than you can imagine because his end goal is never your comfort. His end goal is you being like Jesus. And so he'll take us through a lot of different things and he's looking to develop our faith and our trust in him no matter how hard or difficult it gets. But you know what they said whenever they say something positive? Let's stone them boys. And it's the same way today, isn't it? A lot of times when you see people that have vision and they want to excel and they want to move forward, what does it do? It brings out all of the naysayers and they begin to cast stones at those people because they don't want nobody moving forward. Because if you move forward and excel and actually do something good, that's just going to make me look bad. Amen. That's a good word. And so I love what it says in chapter 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb has a different spirit. And he has followed me fully. I will bring into the land and his descendants shall inherit it. And for 38 years, listen, the sad thing is this, Caleb and Joshua's faith was not enough to get them into the land at that point because of the unbelief of the rest of the congregation. God was unwilling to take the entire congregation into the promised land. So they walked around 38 years until all of them died off and the only two that were remaining of that entire group were Joshua and Caleb. And God kept them alive because of their spirit. He said, they're going to go into the promised land. The rest of them ain't going to make it in. Because they didn't have the faith for it. They didn't have the ability for it. And so Caleb was 85 years old at this point. He was 40 whenever they first spied out the land. Now he's 85 years old, y'all. Anybody in here 85? 85? He's 85 years old. I love what he says. I know I've read a lot, but I, I got to read this. Joshua 14, 7 through 12. He said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And now he's 85. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. He'd been waiting 45 years on his inheritance. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kizanite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And verse 15 says, And the name of the Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. And notice what it says. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And so what you have is a man, Caleb, who while everybody else is getting old, somehow God just keeps his strength. I'm telling you something. It's, it's like Drucey Brown. She got more strength than all of us young people. I mean, the woman can go wide open and just keep working. It's like God has sustained her in a supernatural way. And God can sustain you in a supernatural way if you're willing to do his work. And this man lasts another 45 years waiting on the promise of God. He gets 85. He said, boys, I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40. And he says, give me this mountain right here. And you know why he asked for that mountain? Because it had the biggest giant on it. It had the biggest giant on it. It was named Arba because he he was the greatest giant in the land. He didn't say, oh, that's a big giant. I'm 85. Let's let one of these young boys go get it. He said, no, give me that mountain right there. That one's got the big giant on it. I'm going to take it down. He had a different spirit about him. He went against the grain. And because he wholly followed the Lord as God, it really wasn't even about his ability. It was about his obedience to the Lord. So Caleb had a different spirit. Here's my last point. I'm done. Faith sees the invisible promises as a greater reality than our visible circumstances faith sees the invisible promises as a greater reality than our visible circumstances Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen faith is the embracing of a vivid vision of an anticipated future that's been created by the promises of God that drives you toward it. What faith does is you take the promises of God and it creates a new vision in your mind for your family, for your life, for this community, for our future. And all of a sudden, the promises of God create a future and I see it. But what faith does is it grabs a hold of that future rooted in the promises of God and says, that's mine, I know it, and it gives me strength to move toward it. And while you're on that journey you are going to face opposition. And what Caleb said is I'm not going to go with the grain of everybody else because most people don't make it into the promised land. Most people don't allow God to have His work in their lives. Most people submit, they surrender, they, they, they give into the lust of the flesh, they give in to the pride of life, they give into the temptations of the world, they allow the fear of this world to dictate their lives. I was watching a video of a of a, of a guy that basically is a head operations at CNN and he didn't know a video camera was on him but he ended up making this statement he said fear sells and people are listening to a media machine that has no interest in telling you the truth they don't have the truth they're God. they don't believe God's word and you think they're telling you truth and you listen to them and their end goal is to make money and they say fear sells. We don't sell fear in the church of Jesus Christ. We don't sell fear. We don't operate under the spirit of fear. God has given us power and love and a sound mind and I'm telling you, you've got to be careful to what you are listening to on a daily basis because it will pull you down and away from God's calling on your life. Faith sees something different. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, We have the same spirit of faith. According to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. The spirit of faith. See, the spirit of faith is different. I believed and therefore I spoke. It's not I see and then I speak. No, I believed in my heart that this was a reality. And therefore I begin to speak it. I don't see it yet. But see, faith doesn't look at things that are seen. Faith looks at things that are not seen. The things that you can't see are more powerful than the things that you can. And I'm telling you right now in your family, maybe in our community, maybe in your situation, if you look at your circumstance, it looks like you cannot overcome it. The giants are too big. The obstacles are too big. But I'm telling you, you need a faith in something invisible. You need a faith in the promise of God that says this is a greater reality than what I'm seeing right now with my eyes. See 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. It says, for our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He says, your light afflictions are working something in you, you all. If you're going through a difficulty, you can rejoice because God's working something in you. And he said, but while this is happening, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. Your situation right now is temporary. But the things which are not seen, they are eternal. The promises of God will stand from beginning to end. As the song we sung goes. They will stand from beginning to end. And see, it all works when your eye is on the invisible. What are you looking at? What do you see in your life? Is your eye on the circumstances of this world right now? Because if you look at it, son, it is crazy. I can spend about an hour and watch the news and be almost certain that the Antichrist is coming tomorrow. Amen. You just get all tore up and you're just like, oh my gosh. Probably get my head chopped off next week. Right? And you get all these things that flood into your heart if you're not careful. But you go to the Word of God, you say, no, I'm, I'm going to stay rooted in that. Hard times are coming, yeah, but when they come, I'm going to be ready for them. When they come, I'm going to be ready for them because my faith is in something deeper than my circumstances. It's in the Word of God. And you've got to ask yourself right now, what promises? what promises are you relying on in your life? What promises are you rooting your faith in to say, God, I'm trusting you to get me through this? I want you to bow your head just for a moment. Because right now, the the promise that some of you have got to understand is the greatest promise. Is that if you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. That he was raised from the dead. And confess with your mouth that he is Lord. The scripture says you would be saved. And that doesn't mean that you're just going to go to heaven when you die. It means that right now, God puts a new spirit in you. He regenerates you. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new mind. And he says, you're going to begin to live differently. And if you've not given your life to Jesus and this morning, you say, I want to do that. I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to do like Caleb. I want to fully follow the Lord. Would you just as an act of faith right now, just raise your hand for me. Let me see it. say, I, I, today's the day I want to fully follow the Lord. I see a hand back there. Anybody else? Anybody else? For the rest of us, I need you to to get with God just over this next minute or two as we worship. And I need you to begin to pray and say, Lord, what promises am I holding on to? Because you need a promise. Every place that your foot shall tread, the Lord has given it to you, but you ain't treading nowhere. You're not moving forward into anything. God's saying, I want to give you some land. There are lost people around you, family, friends, people that maybe you've not even met yet, and God's saying, that's territory I want you to possess. I want you to go in. I want you to bring the gospel to them. I want you to love those people. I want you to minister to them, and you're going to see this kingdom spread, this kingdom advance. So, Lord, right now, in Jesus' name, God, for for the one that raised their hand, I just pray that in this moment, Lord, they would sense your love. They'd sense your peace and know that lord jesus as we repent of our sins and we put faith in the fact that you died for us on the cross and we confess our sins to you lord we know that we receive forgiveness that we're washed in your blood and that we have eternal life through faith in you lord jesus we confess you as lord afresh right now just confess him as lord afresh right now and lord we just submit and we say lord god that we want to be like caleb we want to have a different spirit We want to go against the grain. We want to follow you completely, Lord. Would you say that to him this morning? Lord, I want to follow you completely. If nobody else is going that direction, I want to follow you completely with all of my heart. I want you to do something new in me, Lord. Do something new in me and strengthen me in these circumstances and in hard times to go against the grain, to push forward, to have faith and to believe, God, that you've got greater things for me than I've ever imagined. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. This altar's open. We've got people that will pray with you if you need prayer, if you want to come forward and pray. I just ask you to respond to the Lord as always. It's always important that we respond to the Lord when He's calling us. So just take a moment. Stretch out. Just begin to minister to the Lord. Let's sing this song to